Well, as we continue to live through these unprecedented times and we continue to go through things most of us never imagined we would go through, and there are things that are, it's just crazy. It's just crazy right now in the world. There is one thing that we can know for sure. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for that, we can always praise him. For that, we can always worship him because we know that he will always be with us. He will always take care of us. He will always provide for us, always comfort us. And, and, and so because of that, we, there is always a time when we can praise God. And there is never a time when we, when we have nothing to praise God for. And so we can always ask ourselves a question, quite honestly, how can we not be singing? How, how can I keep from singing the praises of God? Yeah. 
shaking and it makes my heart want to sing. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it always rings timeless and true. No matter what experiences we're going through, no matter what uh, uh, unprecedented times we're going through, we know that you remain the same. And so we can, only, we, we can always anchor our souls into you in the middle of the storm. We can always trust you no matter what. Lord, we thank you for that hope and that peace and assurance that you give to us in your word, that you are always here with us. You are always here teaching us and rising us up above what we're going through and reminding us of who you are, showing us your love. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue to go through this unprecedented time of loss of life and job loss and sweeping stay-at-home orders, along with every, everyone in, the, in every essential store in New Jersey wearing a mask, I'm sure that most of us never thought we would experience anything like this. It's something unlike any of us has gone through before, and maybe something unlike any of us will ever experience again. It is something that is so far beyond what we thought would be interjected into normal life, especially here in America. In our passage today, three men experience something that is so far beyond anything they thought could or would be interjected into normal life. And as it gave a glimpse into the future kingdom of Jesus for these three men, it too gives us a glimpse into the future kingdom of Jesus. And that is certainly beyond anything we could ever imagine, but in a perfect way. In the very last two verses of Matthew 16, Jesus reveals for the first time in Matthew to all of his disciples that the kingdom of God that he's been preaching about for his entire ministry will be initiated by the Son of Man, which he's already labeled himself coming with his angels. These statements come immediately after everything Jesus told his disciples in what we discussed last week in Matthew 16, and therefore connects with what he's already told them. Last week, we discussed what, what, what awaits everyone who lets go of his or her life on this earth to submit to the authority of Jesus by taking up their cross. What awaits all of us who do this is the coming kingdom of Jesus. No matter what happens in this world and in this life, that is what we have to look forward to. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Now, the second part of this verse, that the Son of Man will judge all people according to their deeds, connects back with one having to carry a cross, in other words, submitting to Jesus' authority. That submission in faith 
then informs one's actions. So, before we go any further, contrary to the belief that may arise from a cursory reading of verse 27, that our salvation is based on our deeds, and God has some big book of balances where you hope your good actions outweigh your bad, it's all founded on what Jesus said first in this section about submitting to his authority. If one does that, it requires what? It requires faith. Faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, giving the whole basis for one picking up their cross in the first place. Giving the whole basis in the first place. That basic faith is what saves us. But as the Apostle James will also tell us, that faith must be proven by good works or else that faith in reality is dead. Now the first part of verse 27, that the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father, is what directly connects to what comes next in our passage today. Jesus first introduces this idea in the last verse of Matthew 16 when he tells his disciples, and I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, that's a very odd statement to make, a very strange statement to make. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Obviously, all the apostles died 2,000 years ago. The last one, John, only dying about 60 to 70 years after Jesus went back up into heaven. And I don't know about you, but I look around. And this certainly does not look like the kingdom of God around here, does it? <laughs> According to one biblical scholar, verse 27 makes complete sense with what follows six days later, which we'll talk about in our passage today. After Jesus says all these things to all of his disciples, we read in Matthew 17, verse 1, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Why these three guys? Why these guys specifically? There was certainly nothing inherently special about any of them. Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth and would later deny even knowing Jesus three times. James and John were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder by Jesus and not in the highest view of their personalities. But Jesus saw, this is why, Jesus saw who, would, who they would become. Jesus knew who, would they, who they would become. Even as soon as when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead in Matthew 9, when it was only these three men who were with him then. Not only did Jesus only need three men to be the witnesses of what would come next, according to the Jewish law, to make their account seen as truthful, but he specifically chose these three. He knew that all three would play powerful roles in the early church as soon as he ascended back up into heaven. Peter would become the, the, the most vocal leader in the early church and write a couple of books in the New Testament. John would be a caring shepherd for several churches and write several books in the New Testament, including the famous Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. 
And James would be the very first martyr for Jesus, killed by Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12. In fact, other than Matthew, who would write the Gospel of Matthew, we don't know much of what the other disciples did following Jesus' ascension. Think about it. We don't know much of what the other disciples did after Jesus' ascension. Matthew and John wrote two of the four Gospels. Neither Mark nor Luke were members of the original 12 disciples. Paul would be called by Jesus from heaven post-ascension. And really, the only other acts of the apostles recorded in the book of Acts were done by these three pillars, Peter, John, and James. So knowing the plan that God had for these three guys, it was these three who were taken up to the mountain with Jesus six days after he told them about himself coming with the glory of God. That's important. Remember that. Keep that in mind. The last thing Jesus said to them, as recorded in Matthew, was that statement, that Jesus would initiate his kingdom with him coming in the glory of God. Now, verse 2 seems a little odd in Matthew 17, as his description seemingly comes out of nowhere. Remember, nothing like this had ever happened in the history of the world, save Moses' face, kind of, much less in the lifetime of any of these men. These three just go up to this mountain with Jesus, probably under, just under the, under the assumption, assumption that he was just going to be praying, and poof, out of nowhere, we, we read, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. <laughs> out of nowhere, just bang, that happened, right in front of your face, no warning. The NLT translates this transformed. But what was going on here? Well, we kind of get an idea of what happened by looking at the Greek combination of words. This word in the Greek is the combination of the word meaning an after effect of something and a word meaning that a form is changed to reflect its inner essence. So, in other words, even though Jesus was 100% human, here in this experience, his body was temporarily transformed into the being of glory and light that he always had been in heaven in perfect relationship with the other two members of the Trinity. And they, can, they catch a glimpse of that right here. That's why the gospel writers go on to record that this was physically seen in his skin and clothes, shining blindingly bright white. This was these three guys' first glimpse into the coming kingdom of God, that Jesus would rule it in this glorified body. As if that in itself was enough to blow the socks off of any one of these guys, something else breathtaking happens. Next, we read in Matthew 17, 3, suddenly Moses and Elijah bang, out of nowhere, appeared to them and began talking with Jesus. The first begging question that comes to mind is, why then? Out of everybody else that had lived up to that point, why then? Why those two guys? Several theories have been offered up, including that Moses represented Jesus fulfilling the law, and Elijah represented Jesus fulfilling the prophets. 
This theory makes a lot of sense, especially seeing that in Luke's description of this experience, Moses and Elijah are discussing with Jesus his impending death in Jerusalem. That death and subsequent resurrection would then fulfill the purpose of the Jewish law and prove himself as the Messiah as foretold in the prophets. Anything else the prophets also prophesied about the Messiah would be assured would also come true by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Another, another biblical theory that also makes a lot of sense is that this is a glimpse of what Jesus had just revealed to the disciples. Remember, Jesus' last words about this were in connection with his kingdom and himself being revealed in the glory of God. That's why I said remember that. Keep that in your mind. The complete fulfillment of that obviously will not come to fruition until a future time. But here, Jesus is revealing a glimpse of what this will include. This theory posits that, that combined with the three disciples who were also there, Moses and Elijah represent all those who will also be able to be a part of Jesus' kingdom. Moses represents all those who in faith, as the book of Hebrews teaches, looked forward to a heavenly home and were saved by God for the faith they had in what divine revelation had been given to them at different points in human history. I'm not going to get into all the specifics right now, but Moses then represents all those who had died in faith in Jesus, to whatever degree that was, and will be raised to life again when Jesus comes back for all those who had put their faith in him. These will enter the messianic kingdom that Jesus sets up on earth the same way the ones who, rep who Elijah represents will. Now what happened with Elijah? How did he enter heaven? He didn't die, right? He didn't die to enter heaven. He was carried alive into heaven. In the same way, Jesus' kingdom on earth will also include all those who had faith in Jesus, but were still alive when Jesus comes back and were carried up with those who were raised from the dead to meet with Jesus in the clouds. But both of these categories of people will enter the messianic kingdom with glorified bodies, just as Moses and Elijah appear here with Jesus. The disciples represent the third and last category of people who will enter Jesus' earthly kingdom. All those who were believers in Jesus during the Great Tribulation, before the Antichrist's great delusion and deceptive gathering of one last attack on Jerusalem, who will survive when everyone else in the Antichrist's army will be destroyed, will enter the kingdom in physical bodies. So all those who were believers in Jesus in the Great Tribulation, and because they were not part of the Antichrist army, but they were the ones who were going to be attacked, they will enter in physical bodies, just as the disciples had physical bodies during the Transfiguration, into Jesus' Messianic kingdom. These, the ones who enter into the kingdom with physical bodies, will be the first citizens of this thousand-year kingdom, while those who entered with glorified bodies will rule it under Jesus' authority. 
But all of that is a completely different study. We're not going to get into that now. To put it simply, any one of us who is a believer in Jesus right now will be in either one of the first two categories and will join with Jesus forever at what is referred to as the rapture. Now, why did I go through all of that? I went through all of that to explain how this famous experience, that there's countless paintings done of, and is referred to all the time, this famous experience as recorded for us in Scripture as the transfiguration. The whole point of it was to reveal to us the fulfillment of God's word, Jesus' death and resurrection would accomplish, and reveal to us a glimpse at the future kingdom, the future kingdom of Jesus. I wonder if any of us really stopped and thought about that when we read through this experience in the Gospels. Everything that is entailed in this experience known as the Transfiguration. Out of all the things that Peter did not pick up during Jesus' ministry, this is one he actually understood. We read, Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What in the world is Peter getting at here? Well, knowing that Jesus is revealing a glimpse at his future kingdom, Peter's exclamation makes complete sense. Without going into too much detail, Peter is referencing the one Jewish feast that has to do with end times. The Feast of Booths, or Shelters, or Tabernacles, which represented when God would gather all his children together, when God would gather all of his people together and put them back in the, in the Promised Land, the Land of Peace. That will be fulfilled when every person who will become a believer in Jesus will be gathered together in entering his earthly kingdom, which we just described in the Transfiguration as a glimpse into that kingdom. According to one biblical scholar, Peter got the point of the Transfiguration, but he had the timing all wrong. In fact, on the way back down the mountain following this whole experience, Jesus strictly tells the three of them to not speak of that whole vision until after he had been resurrected from the dead. That was to signify that even though they had the blessing and the privilege of being a part of this revelation, it would not be established until after Jesus proved himself the Messiah and that this future kingdom was his by rising again from the dead. But the main point in all of this is Matthew 17, 5. And we read, but even as Peter spoke, he gets interrupted, he doesn't even get to finish this thought, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. This may not seem obvious at first, but this is huge. This is huge in the ministry of Jesus. Again, without going into too much detail, the bright cloud is a revisit to what? Obviously, the glory of God in the form of a cloud that went before the Israelites in the wilderness and represented his presence over the tabernacle. 
In the Jewish understanding of God, his presence resided in the Holy of Holies, either in the tabernacle or the temple, once they were situated in the Promised Land. Here, though the very presence of God the Father in the form of that bright cloud comes down in the midst of all of this and confirms that Jesus is his Son. What did this reveal to the disciples and what does it reveal to us? According to biblical scholarship, it shows that the Father reveals to the world that the same glory of God that was believed to only reside in the Holy of Holies now resides in Jesus. In fact, that glory was literally shining out of every pore of Jesus' body. You couldn't miss it. There was a universal transition right here that was going on that the disciples who were Jewish in background were supposed to see in this experience. They must now see Jesus as the embodiment of the glory of God, which would be completely fulfilled when he would rise from the dead. As such, whatever Jesus said was with the very authority of God himself, as he was the embodiment of the glory and presence of God, and therefore was God in their midst. Peter got that too. For he would later recall in 2 Peter 1, 7, uh, 16 through 17, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Peter got it. I know this is a lot of information, but what hope it gives to us is tremendous. And that's why I went through all of it. Yes, what we're going through right now is unprecedented. Yes, it's scary. Nobody's denying that. Yes, it's something none of us have ever experienced before. But... Look at all that we have. We have the full glory of God embodied in Jesus, our King and our Savior. We have all of Jesus' kingdom to look forward to. It will be a time of unprecedented, but it will be an unprecedented time of abundance and peace. That will be the huge difference. It will be a time unlike we've ever experienced in our entire lives, and it will be a perfect time unlike anything we've ever experienced. That's what we have to keep our focus on, even now. We have to keep our eyes on what is coming. And as such, we have to live our earthly lives in light of that, getting ready for that, taking as many people as we can with us into that kingdom. We should be the only ones on earth who are not running around like the sky is falling. Because we know that that's not anywhere near all there is. There is so much more to come. And for everyone who thinks they can find the glory of God anywhere other than Jesus, 
You won't find it. You won't find it. It's nowhere other than Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to God the Father. No one can come to God except through me. You will not find the glory of God anywhere else other than Jesus. Nature declares the glory of God, but it is not the glory of God. The universe is merely a creation of God, not the glory of God. The glory of God is only found in Jesus. We need and cannot look any further than him. That's it. He is the radiance and the glory of Almighty God. And so he is all that we need. We don't need anything else in this world, and we can't seek any other power in this world. He is it. That gives us peace. That gives us peace. Because we, it means if we have Jesus, that is, if we have received forgiveness of our sins through our acceptance of his death and resurrection on our behalf, and therefore have been reconciled to God the Father and have become his children, we need nothing else. We don't need anything else. That's everything. We can rest assured that he will take care of us in this life, even as surprising and unprecedented as times will get, and, and we have the assurance of knowing we will be part of Jesus' coming and perfect kingdom. No matter the uncertainty of everything else going on right now, no matter the uncertainty of everything else going on right now, and no matter the uncertainty of anything that will surprise us down the road in this life, one thing we can know for certain. Our salvation in Jesus is held tightly by Jesus himself and by the Father himself. And nothing, not even ourselves, nothing can snatch our souls out of his hand. We will be called forth and called up and we will be with Jesus forever. And then we will enjoy the peace and prosperity this world has never seen and will never see again. The author of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 1.3, and this is what I want to close with today. The sun radiates, S-O-N, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. That's whose authority we've submitted to. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Nothing happens without him knowing about it. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And guess what? He's not staying there forever. He's coming back one day. 
and we will join with him in that coming kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the peace and stability of knowing what your word tells us will, will happen, what we get, what we have to look forward to. We, we, we have everything to look forward to. We have your kingdom and its unprecedented time of peace and prosperity and abundance with you ruling over this world. So Lord, let us look forward to that. Let us rise up out of the uncertainty and the fear of these unprecedented times and let us look forward with great faith towards that day and let us stop at nothing to bring as many people as we can with us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look forward to that day where Jesus will set up his kingdom on this earth and justice will finally be made, justice will finally be given out, the world will be paid back for all of its evil, and Jesus will reign supreme. Let us recognize that future kingdom by recognizing his authority in the here and now over our lives as we declare our submission to his kingship. Sitting on the throne of our hearts. Go in peace. Amen.